Hello, this is Nikta from Newslaundry.com bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Monday, the 28th of September. And I'm really happy to inform you that this is the 500th episode of Daily Dose. So a big thank you to all our listeners for tuning in and supporting us. India recorded more than 82,000 new cases of COVID-19 in the last 24 hours, taking the country's total tally to 60,74,000 cases or 6.7 million. The national death toll crossed 95,000 with more than 1,000 deaths being recorded. More than 50 lakh people, however, have recovered from the virus so far. Union Health Minister Harshvardhan said, and I quote, there are at least three viable vaccine candidates that are in the phase of clinical trials right now in the country. Unquote. He further added that a vaccine would hopefully be made available in the first quarter of 2021. Mizoram has reported a sharp increase in COVID-19 cases with over 43 people, including 34 security personnel testing positive for the virus. In Kerala, the health minister KK Shelja warned citizens that the state could be experiencing a second wave of infections. She also said that if people did not cooperate with the authorities, a second lockdown could be imposed in the state. The Kerala government has also ordered a probe into a case involving denial of treatment to a pregnant lady by several hospitals which led to the death of her twins. The incident sparked protests by locals and opposition parties against the health department. The Delhi Commission for Protection of Child Rights along with the Delhi police released a joint statement saying that cases of child labor had risen due to the pandemic. This is because poor families who had lost their livelihoods were in a very vulnerable position where traffickers could easily convince them to send their children away. Dear listeners, poverty is one of the main contributors to the menace of trafficking in the world, especially child trafficking. The pandemic and the subsequent economic fallout has put poor children around the world at great risk. To get more insight on the issue, might I suggest you listen to my podcast on child trafficking on newslaundry.com. It is estimated that a child goes missing in India every 8 minutes. That's an entire classroom full of students disappearing every few hours. Almost 40% of these children are never found and families are torn apart. Tune into the latest episode of Let's Talk About where I delved into the complexities of child trafficking in India. How and why it is so prevalent, what forms does it take, who is the most vulnerable and what is being done to prevent it. Through a series of sobering interviews I spoke to victims experts and journalists on the front lines to understand the many aspects of India's child trafficking crisis. Here is an excerpt from the podcast. Mera maa ne bahut pyar kar raha tha aur pyar se khana khila raha tha to humne pucha ki aaj kya baat hai itna pyar se khana wana khila raha hai hum bola kabhi to aisa nahi kiya लेकिन उसने बोला कि तुम जाने वाले हो ऐसा बोला हमने पूछा कि कहाँ जाने वाले हो बोला तो बोला है कि दिल्ली में कोई लेने आया है ऐसा बोला तो हम बोला कौन लेने आया है फिर से बाहर तो बोला है कि हाँ जाना पड़ेगा काम करने के लिए ऐसा बोल रहा था तो मैंने बोला कि दिल्ली कितना दूर है आपको पता है बोला नहीं मालूम a tiny hamlet surrounded by virgin forests gurgling brooks and mighty mountains a place of exceptional natural beauty set in the southern reaches of the himalayas in west kaming district of arunachal pradesh ella was only 11 when her life took a dramatic turn as she returned home from school one day her mother had sold her to a stranger from new delhi who had come to her village looking for a domestic worker 
A long train journey and a few days later she was taken to a brothel and Ella was rechristened Sarika at her new address in Delhi's GB Road. Dear listeners, we feel great joy in presenting to you content like this about issues that really matter. However, it does require a huge amount of time, research and resources. Now, as all of you know, News Laundry is a 100% ad-free news platform, and that is because we believe when the advertiser pays, the advertiser is served, but when the public pays, the public is served. So to help us keep bringing you worthwhile content like this, please do support us by subscribing to News Laundry. Go to our website and hit that subscribe button on the top right corner. Thank you in advance. Coming back to the news, Finance Minister Nirmala Sitaraman told the Indian Express that the virus had changed the nature of challenges being faced by the economy. She said and I quote, "You don't have a sure shot vaccine, you don't have a clear-cut end date, and with reports in some places that people who have been cured are getting it back, big uncertainties are playing in the minds of entrepreneurs, both small and medium." Unquote. Also, the Delhi High Court has issued a notice to the centre to stop stubble burning in Punjab, Haryana and Uttar Pradesh in view of the COVID-19 crisis. The hearing is set to take place on 22nd of October. Protests against the farm bills raged on in all parts of the country today. While farmers called for a dawn-to-dusk shutdown in Karnataka, the DMK in Tamil Nadu is holding a statewide agitation. In Punjab, Chief Minister Amrinder Singh joined a sit-in demonstration at Khatkar Kalan, the ancestral village of freedom fighter Bhagat Singh. He also threatened to approach the Supreme Court against the new farm laws. Some reports also said that Congress leader Rahul Gandhi may also join the protesters in Punjab. Yesterday, President Ramnath Kovin had given his nod to the bills despite the widespread opposition against them. Farmers are apprehensive that these bills could signal the end of the minimum support price or MSP on which their livelihood depends. On the other hand, opposition members are upset with the hurried manner in which the bill was passed in the parliament. The government, however, has constantly asserted that these bills will allow farmers to get a better price for their produce. The government also continues to claim that they did not break any rules during the passage of the bills. During the protest today a tractor was set on fire near India Gate in Delhi by protesters. The police have removed the tractor and arrested 5 people in the matter. The police claimed that the disruptive protesters were members of the Youth Congress of Punjab as they had shouted pro Congress slogans. Commenting on the incident Union Minister Prakash Jawrekar tweeted and I quote This is the drama of the Congress. This is why people voted the Congress out of power. Unquote. Farmers have also been sitting on a protest on the Amritsar-Delhi railway track, while farmers in Karnataka have called for a statewide bandh or shutdown today against the farm-related bills. Karnataka Chief Minister and BJP leader B S Yadurappa said, and I quote, "They have already decided to protest. Being a farmer's son, I am on the farmer's side. These amendments have been brought about after long discussions." Unquote. The Chief Minister urged the farmers to wait for another six months or a year. He said, and I quote again. We haven't closed the doors on the APMC. You can sell it at the APMC or wherever you can get a fair price. I request the farmers to wait for another six months or a year. You'll get to know how it will help you. Unquote. So the farm bills, which bring in sweeping reforms in India's agricultural sector, have been bulldozed through the Parliament and even received the President's assent. This, as we are seeing, is happening while farmers and opposition parties are holding widespread protests across the country, saying that the reforms will be a death knell for India's agricultural sector. Now, you must be probably wondering: Are these farm bills good or bad? 
Are the reforms to the agricultural sector proposed by the Modi government beneficial to farmers or are they harmful? News Laundry's resident parliament nerd Meghnad explained what the reforms are all about and how they will affect the farmers in his latest explainer. You can check it out on newslaundry.com. Shiromani Akali Dal President Sukhbir Singh Badal lashed out at the BJP-led National Democratic Alliance, or NDA, saying that it was an alliance just in name. The Akali Dal had announced that it was quitting the NDA late on Saturday. This came after her Simrat Kaur Badal had resigned from the union cabinet in protest against the farm bills. Sukhbir Singh Badal has said that the alliance had been weakening since the past decade. In an interview with the Indian Express, he said, and I quote, There is nothing in the NDA. No discussion, no planning, no meetings. I don't remember a day in the last 10 years when the Prime Minister called an NDA meeting for lunch to discuss what they have in mind. Alliances should not be on paper. Before this, during Vajpayee's time, there used to be a proper relationship. My father is a founder member of the NDA. It is sad that we created the NDA, but the NDA is not there today. Unquote. He said that the alliance had been built on founding principles of farmer welfare as well as communal harmony. He expressed his sadness that the BJP has become insensitive to both these principles. Badal also called to unite opposition parties for justice to the farmers. The Akali Dal got support from several parties, including the Trinamool Congress. Its leader, Derek O'Brien, tweeted, and I quote, We support Mr. Badal and the Akali Dal stand for the farmers. Unquote. Shiv Sena Sanjay Raut also praised the Akali Dal's decision to leave the NDA for the welfare of farmers. An editorial in Shiv Sena's mouthpiece also criticised the BJP for not attempting to stop the Akali Dal from leaving the alliance. It read, and I quote, When the Badals left, no effort was made to stop them. Earlier, the Shiv Sena also left the NDA. With these two parties out, what is left of the NDA? Those who are still there, do they have anything to do with Hindutva? Unquote. President Ramnath Kovind has approved the Jammu and Kashmir Official Languages Act of 2020. The law extends the official languages of the region from Urdu and English to include Kashmiri, Dogri and Hindi. Officials, however, said that English would be continued for administrative and legislative purposes in the Union Territory. However, the Legislative Assembly of the Union Territory would carry out its activities in the official languages of the region. Further, the Lieutenant Governor would also have the power to strengthen institutions to promote regional languages of Jammu and Kashmir. Mechanisms will also be put in place to promote Gojri, Pahari and Punjabi languages. Hasnain Masudi, the leader of the National Conference Party, had dissented against the passage of the bill in the Lok Sabha. He said that the five languages would confuse the bureaucracy of the region. He also advised the centre to wait for the verdict of the court in the contentious abrogation of the Article 370 from the region before taking any drastic steps. He also pointed out that Urdu linked Jammu and Kashmir with Ladakh. However, a BJP spokesperson countered this claim by saying that according to the 2011 census, 2.3% of the region spoke in Hindi, while only 0.16% of the population spoke in Urdu. He also added that 56% of the population in Jammu and Kashmir spoke Kashmiri languages, which till now had not been made official. He also termed this as a historic blunder that had been fixed. The Reserve Bank of India, at least seven public sector banks and seven leading financial institutions have contributed over 200 crore rupees to the PM Cares Fund. An Indian Express report based on RTI records stated that along with the central educational institutions, 204.75 crore rupees from the salaries of the staff of these institutions have been so far contributed to the PM Cares Fund. 
As per the report, apart from their corporate social responsibility allocation and other provisions, Life Insurance Corporation of India or LIC, General Insurance Corporation of India or GIC and National Housing Bank have contributed over 144.5 crore rupees. Among these, LIC was the biggest contributor. The insurance company alone gave 113.63 crores to the PM Cares Fund. Second in line was the State Bank of India with a contribution of 107.95 crore rupees. The bank said that the first tranche of 100 crore rupees was paid on 31st March, adding that the entire contribution was from the employees' salaries. Other contributors included Kinara Bank, Union Bank of India, Central Bank of India, Bank of Maharashtra and more. In total, including the more than 200 crore rupees worth of salaries from employees, these 15 government banks and institutions contributed 349.25 crore rupees to the PM Cares Fund. On May 28, the Prime Minister's office had refused to reveal any details of the donors to the fund. It had responded to inquiries saying, and I quote, PM Cares Fund is not a public authority under the ambit of Section 2H of the RTI Act. However, relevant information in respect of PM Cares Fund may be seen on the website pmcares.gov.in. Unsurprisingly, the official website does not identify the contributors nor does it provide details of the contributions. And now for some international updates. COVID-19 has infected over 33.1 million people around the world. The global death toll, meanwhile, is inching closer to the calamitous milestone of 1 million. Currently, 998,000 people have died due to the virus. In China's Beijing, the city government has passed a new law to protect non-malicious medical whistleblowers after an ophthalmologist was censored for warning of the risk posed by the coronavirus. According to an AFP report, China's leaders suffered a rare wave of public outrage after ophthalmologist Li Wenliang died of the disease in Wuhan, the city where the COVID-19 virus first emerged late last year. He had attempted to warn authorities about the new infection but was instead reprimanded for spreading rumours. Other medical whistleblowers in Wuhan later told Chinese media that they were punished by the government officials for discussing the outbreak without permission from superiors. The new Beijing law that came into effect on Friday states that anyone whose tip-offs are later verified would be rewarded and suffer no penalties. South Korea reported 50 new COVID-19 cases. The numbers were the lowest since August when a new wave of infections emerged from a church whose members had attended a large political rally in Seoul on August 15th. Cases continue to rise throughout Europe as infections return after authorities across the continent ease restrictions over the summer. The worst affected country in Europe is Russia with more than 1.1 million recorded cases. Ever since he began his run for president in 2015, Donald Trump has fought very hard to prevent the release of his tax returns. Five years later, a New York Times investigative report has finally discovered why. The New York Times team managed to get its hands on the president's tax return data going back over two decades. And the findings are astounding. According to the report, in 10 of the 15 years before his election as the president, Trump paid $0 in income tax. In 2016 and 17, he paid just $750 a year. He has achieved these shockingly low tax payments thanks to the enormous losses that his businesses have taken over the years. And of course, because his accounts team has a knack for claiming tax write-offs. All of this together allowed him to claim next to no net income in many years. The files obtained by the New York Times include documentation of Trump's personal tax filings as well as those of hundreds of companies that make up his business empire. 
They revealed that the president now finds himself under increasing financial duress as he continues to fight a decade-long legal battle with the IRS or the Internal Revenue Service, which has challenged the legitimacy of $72.9 million of tax refund that Trump had claimed and received after declaring huge losses. If he loses that battle, he could be stuck with a bill of more than $100 million. In the last 20 years, Trump has depended heavily on revenue from endorsements and investments in other people's businesses while taking large losses on the businesses that he himself runs. Responding to the report at a news conference on Sunday night, Trump called the report fake news. He claimed that he would release his tax returns to the public once he was no longer under audit. He said, and I quote, I paid tax, unquote. With his financial challenges mounting, the records show that he is increasingly dependent on making money from businesses that may put him in direct conflict of interest with his job as the President of the United States. That's all for today. Have a great day or a good night, depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.